In this eye-opening episode, we answer the controversial question, does aspartame cause cancer? We discuss its history and potential risks and benefits of this widely used alternative sweetener. Join us as we navigate through the scientific research to separate fact from fiction. I'm Professor Megan. I'm Professor Susan. And we're your Your nutrition nutrition profs. We are registered dietitians and college professors who have taught more than 10,000 students about health and nutrition. We have answered a lot of questions about nutrition over the years. Some questions we get asked every year, and some are rarely asked, but very interesting. We are here to share our answers to these common and uncommon nutrition questions with you. So bring your curiosity and let's get started. Welcome Welcome to to our class. Welcome, everyone. We've got a really sweet episode for you this week. (laughs) I see what you did there. (laughs) Okay, so today's topic is not only a common question we get asked, but it's also quite timely. That's right. In fact, we actually had a listener reach out and ask us about this specifically. Today's episode is about aspartame, which has been in the news quite a bit. Yes, it has. Today, we'll be answering the question, does aspartame cause cancer? This widely used sweetener is pretty controversial for a myriad of reasons, but today we're going to focus just on the relationship between aspartame use and cancer. There may be other issues with aspartame, but those are for another episode. But before we get into the discussion about aspartame and cancer, let's talk a bit about what aspartame actually is. First of all, it's an alternative sweetener. That means it's an alternative to sugar in sweetened foods. And that term alternative sweetener, it's used to describe all the non-nutritive sweeteners. So aspartame and others like saccharin or sweet and low, Splenda, and things like stevia. Non-nutritive means it does not provide any nutrients or significant calories. The main reason they don't provide calories is that these sweeteners are much, much, much sweeter (laughs) than sugar. So only a very small amount is necessary. So even if they contain calories, because a few of them do, such a tiny amount basically has no calories. In our classes, we talk about this topic quite often. We even had students do blind taste tests of the different types of alternative sweeteners to see if they could identify them and to categorize them. Yeah, I really like that lab. And I think students liked it too. I do too. Um, Some of them taste pretty terrible when they're not in a (laughs) beverage. (laughs) That is true. But it's so interesting that opinions were always so split on like, you know, half the class thinks that sweetener A is bitter, the most bitter, and others think it's B and... Yeah, it was a wide range for sure. But today we're just focusing on aspartame. Right. So let's go back to it. Aspartame is both an alternative and an artificial sweetener. That's because it's created in a lab instead of being a naturally occurring alternative sweetener like stevia. Now, stevia is extracted from the leaves of a plant, the stevia rubidiana plant, or a sweetener like monk fruit which comes from a small green fruit called lohan gua, which is native to southern China. 
While some consider naturally occurring alternative sweeteners to be better or healthier or safer than artificial sweeteners, research really doesn't appear to back these claims up. Yeah. In general, all alternative sweeteners are used as replacements for sugar. They're typically much sweeter than sugar, provide little to no calories, don't directly increase blood sugar, and don't contribute to tooth decay. So let's get into it. Aspartame. What is it? What is it made of? This is a really interesting story. Aspartame was discovered in 1965 by a chemist named James Schlatter, and he was conducting research into anti-ulcer drugs. Aspartame is a combination of two amino acids, phenylalanine and aspartic acid. There are no carbs or sugars in it at all. Well, the following is likely going to make scientists and researchers everywhere cringe. Schlatter discovered the sweetness of aspartame by licking his finger. Ew. (laughs) That is clearly a violation of safe laboratory practices. Yes. (laughs) Don't do this at home. (laughs) It's been reported that he licked his finger to turn a page without realizing that the substance he was working with was on his hand. He noted it was sweet and apparently just continued on with his research. Oh. Ick. You know, I don't see that many people doing that anymore, like licking their finger to help them turn a page, but my dad used to do it all the time. Well, I think part of the problem is we don't really read paper books or magazines <laughs> anymore, <probably> <laughs> <laughs> so no need to turn pages. <laughs> but yeah, probably not widely yeah. done. I guess we'll have to find other ways of making scientific <laughs> discoveries. <laughs> well, as we mentioned before, aspartame is made up of two amino acids, phenylalanine and aspartic acid. The phenylalanine is slightly modified in aspartame due to an addition of a methyl group, which somehow magically makes it sweet. Gotta love a little magic. (laughs) Aspartame, in fact, is almost 200 times sweeter than sugar, so very little is used to provide sweetness in foods. So even though it technically provides four calories of energy per gram, like other amino acids or proteins, the small amount means it's virtually calorie-free. Even though it was discovered in 1965, the pharmaceutical company that Schlatter worked for didn't file a food additive certification with the FDA for aspartame until 1973. And in 1973, a different sweetener, saccharin, sold under the name Sweet and Low. The pink stuff. Exactly. Had a near monopoly on the alternative sweetener market. You know what? Let's talk a little bit about saccharin because its history may help us understand what's going on now with aspartame. Good idea. Saccharin was first discovered in 1879, also by accident, at Johns Hopkins University and is the original alternative sweetener. 1879? Mm -hmm. That's really crazy. (laughs) How was it discovered? Unfortunately, very similar to... Aspartame. <laughs> a scientist named Constantin Falberg was working on a coal tar derivative. Coal tar derivative? Maybe for a food dye. Check out our food dye episode from September. Well, maybe. <laughs> Apparently, he also noticed a sweet taste on his hand oh. and connected the sweet taste with the chemical he was working on. He started manufacturing it in Germany, and the rest is history. Yuck. (laughs) Well, saccharin is definitely the oldest alternative sweetener. It's been on the market for more than 100 years. It's cheap, it does not provide any calories, and it is much sweeter than sugar. But it's also had its share of controversy. 
The use of saccharin really increased during World War I because there was a sugar shortage. It was promoted for weight loss in the 1960s, which also contributed to its popularity. Mm. But animal studies in the 1970s suggested it was a possible carcinogen as it produced bladder tumors in rats. Carcinogen is a sciencey word for cancer-causing. In 1977, it was required by law that products containing saccharin must include a warning label. The warning label stated, use of the product may be hazardous to your health. This product contains saccharin, which has been determined to cause cancer in laboratory animals. And then by 1981, saccharin was banned altogether. But by 2000, additional data from human studies deemed saccharin as safe for human consumption. In fact, it was determined that humans would need to drink the equivalent of 812-ounce cans of diet soda with saccharin daily to reach the doses that caused bladder cancer in rats. That is a lot of soda. Yeah, I couldn't wow, even imagine. 800 cans a day? Wow. So with the new data, FDA took saccharin off the list of possible carcinogens and they removed the warning label. Saccharin has had a bumpy ride, (laughs) but is currently recognized as safe and permitted for use in more than 100 countries, including the U.S. But let's get back to aspartame. Okay. The FDA approved aspartame as an alternative sweetener in 1974, and it could be used in chewing gum, cold breakfast cereals, and as dry bases for things like instant coffee, gelatins, and puddings. But you should not cook with aspartame. When heated, it will break down into amino acids and methanol, which will absolutely ruin the sweetness of the product. Yeah. When I was in college, I had to take an experimental foods class, which was kind of fun. And we had to cook with artificial sweeteners to see what would happen to the foods that we were making. So my group made brownies and we sweetened them with aspartame and they were really, really terrible. Oh, really that, bitter. Oh. Oh, it was awful. Like you couldn't even take a whole bite. It was like spit, <laughs> take a bite and like spit it out. Oof, okay. Terrible. So you heard it here first. Don't heat it. Don't eat it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's keep it in cold things like sodas, teas, and yogurt. Yeah. But by 1996, it was approved as a general purpose sweetener. And since then it has been used to sweeten thousands of food products. And if you remember from our dietary supplements and food dyes episodes, the FDA must recognize additives like aspartame as grass, generally recognized as safe, G-R-A-S. And like we said earlier, the chemical company that developed aspartame had to submit studies to the FDA to show that it was safe before it could be approved as a food additive for human consumption. In fact, aspartame is considered one of the most studied food additives in the human food supply. A quick search in Google Scholar found over 57,000 research articles about it. So while aspartame is considered grass for the general population, there is one group that should never consume it. Right. Those with a rare genetic disorder called phenylketonuria or PKU. They must avoid aspartame. They have an inability to metabolize the amino acid phenylalanine, causing it to build up to dangerous levels in the body. But don't worry if you're thinking right now, oh my God, could I have PKU? (laughs) If you did, you would know it by now. 
Newborns are tested for PKU and a whole bunch of other genetic disorders via a heel prick shortly after birth. Those with PKU must follow a very modified diet throughout their lifetime, as phenylalanine is a really common amino acid in most protein foods. And so that's why they, they screen newborns. Phenylalanine is found in both breast milk and regular formula. So if that is how you're going to feed your infant and they have PKU, they can develop irreversible brain damage and intellectual disability within the first few months of life. So you want to know right away if your newborn has PKU. And if they do, infants have to consume a special phenylalanine-free formula, and then throughout their lives, they must follow a diet consisting primarily of fruits, veggies, juices, and low-protein breads and pastas. And of course, they need to avoid things like beet, poultry, beans, and dairy products. And because their diets are so limited, they have to avoid all of these protein foods. They also have to consume this phenylalanine-free formula so that they'll have the additional protein that they need. So because of PKU, products that contain aspartame must also include a warning statement like phenylketonuriacs contains phenylalanine. Yeah, I've seen that on, Me too. on several things. So now you guys know when you see it, what that means on food labels. And you're probably seeing it often. Mm -hmm. Today, aspartame is found in more than 5,000 products. It's sold as tabletop sweeteners, those little blue packs, under the names NutraSweet and Equal. It's found in several diet drinks like Diet Coke, Coke Zero, Crystal Light, and sugar-free gums like Trident and Extra. Other products include sugar-free Jello and Mrs. Butterworth's sugar-free syrup. But does it cause cancer? Good question. (laughs) A 2020 study found an increased incidence of leukemia and lymphoma in mice that consumed aspartame. But the doses were almost quadruple the weight of the mice, which makes them a poor point of reference for looking at human risk. So that was sort of like the saccharin and bladder cancer in rats, right? The dose equivalent for humans would be enormous to match what the rats or the mice were getting. Right. And there's other studies that have found aspartame did not cause tumors or cancers in rats. So maybe it does and maybe it doesn't. (laughs) Sounds complicated. Very. And that brings us to present day. This year on July 14th, 2023, it was announced that aspartame is considered possibly carcinogenic to humans by the International Agency for Research on Cancer or IARC. And people all over the world either said, I knew it, (laughs) or wait, 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 hold on. Wait a minute. (laughs) The IARC is a specialized cancer agency of the World Health Organization. It was started in 1965, and it's an international, interdisciplinary, and independent group. And their purpose is to identify causes of cancer so that preventive measures can be taken. And this is really important as cancer is the second leading cause of death globally with an estimated one in six people dying from cancer. One in six. Yeah. Oh. The IARC, what they do is they categorize specific agents like aspartame into one of four groups. So if it's categorized into group one, that indicates that there is sufficient evidence that it does cause cancer in humans. So this substance is carcinogenic. 
group 2A substances are probably carcinogenic to humans, meaning there is strong evidence that it can cause cancer in humans, but it's presently not conclusive. Group 2B substances are possibly carcinogenic to humans, meaning there is limited evidence in humans and it's far from conclusive. If a substance is in group three, it means it's not classifiable as to its carcinogenicity to humans, probably due to inadequate evidence. Group four substances are probably not carcinogenic to humans. So there's strong evidence that they do not cause cancer in group four. It's extremely important to note that the IARC does not indicate the level of cancer risk, but rather the strength of the scientific evidence that an agent can cause cancer. An agent in group one does not mean that exposure will inevitably lead to cancer, nor does it mean that an agent in group three is completely harmless. Wow. Again, so complicated (laughs) and definitely confusing for people. It is. These classifications focus only on the potential of an agent to cause cancer. It does not take into account exposure levels or frequency of exposure that might influence the actual risk of cancer. So let's give some examples of agents that are included in these groups because that might clear things up a little bit. Yes. So in group one, the carcinogenic to humans group, we have substances like tobacco smoke and asbestos, but we also have, drum roll please, processed meat. I remember when this was announced in 2015, it was all over the news, much like aspartame is now. Yeah, I remember it too. The IARC reviewed more than 400 studies showing a relationship between the increased development of colorectal cancer and eating processed meat. Things like hot dogs, bacon, some sausages, stuff like beef jerky, that kind of thing. So if tobacco smoke, asbestos, and processed meats are all classified as carcinogenic to humans, does that mean that smoking tobacco and eating hot dogs provide the same level of risk or are equally dangerous? No. (laughs) This means that there's a high level of evidence that they can cause cancer, but not of how likely it is that they will cause cancer in any single person or how much exposure it might take to increase your risk. And it's important to point out that the IARC is a research group that evaluates research evidence. It does not make recommendations. Rather, national governments and the World Health Organization overall typically make recommendations, and they may take into account the information from the IARC when doing so. For example, the 2020 to 2025 Dietary Guidelines for Americans recommends limiting red and processed meats. Okay, so some of the agents in the 2A group include consumption of any red meat, like beef, pork, lamb, goat, etc., And even exposure working as a hairdresser is in the 2A group due to hair dyes. And remember, this category indicates strong evidence that it can cause cancer, but at present it is not conclusive. And that brings us to the agents in group 2B. These are considered possibly carcinogenic to humans. There is some evidence that it can cause cancer in humans, but at present it is far from conclusive. So it's based on limited evidence of cancer in humans and limited evidence of cancer in experimental animals. 
And this is where IARC recently placed aspartame. Yes, in the possibly carcinogenic to humans group. Other agents in this group include aloe vera and pickled vegetables. Pickled vegetables. (laughs) Wow, that's so interesting. So if you're concerned about alternative sweeteners, there is actually more research evidence linking processed meats and red meat to cancer than aspartame. So if you're freaking out about drinking diet sodas due to aspartame and the risk of cancer, are you also avoiding things like bacon, sausage, and hot dogs? Hmm. Something to think about. Definitely. We're not going to get into groups three and four because these are agents that either have insufficient evidence or they're unlikely to cause cancer in humans. I can really see why this has been so confusing for consumers. It is confusing. Yeah. The headlines made it sound dire and so much scarier than it needed to be. Mm -hmm. It's always a good lesson to read more than just the headlines. So true. We hope this clears up at least some of the controversy surrounding the IARC categorization of aspartame. And remember, while the IARC is a part of the World Health Organization, it is only one small part and does not put forth recommendations. In fact, shortly after the IARC announcement, the joint WHO, World Health Organization, and Food and Agricultural Organization of the UN Expert Committee on Food Additives... Say that 10 times fast. <laughs> Let's just call that JECFA reaffirmed the safety of aspartame as grass or generally recognized as safe. And unlike the IARC, the JECFA evaluates based on the amount of a product that is safe for human consumption. And also unlike the IARC, JECFA is a food safety agency that has reviewed more than 2,600 food additives. So JECFA looks at both the product and the amount usually consumed by humans in order to determine risk. Right. And JECFA has evaluated aspartame three times and reached the same conclusion. It's generally safe for human consumption. This is only the first time the IARC has looked at aspartame. Has anyone said any recommendations for intake of aspartame? Like the dose makes the poison, right? Yes. JECFA set the acceptable daily intake for aspartame at 40 milligrams per kilogram body weight per day. So if a person weighs about 150 pounds, they would need to drink 14 cans of diet soda or consume 74 packets, the little blue ones on the table, per day for many, many days to reach the acceptable daily intake. That's a lot of soda or little tabletop packets of aspartame. I doubt many people would actually reach that level. Yeah, I hope. Mm. Remember what your nutrition profs say, everything everything in in moderation. moderation. Nobody should be drinking 14 cans of soda per day for any reason. And JECFA sets this as a worldwide recommendation, right? Yes. The European Food Safety Authority has also adopted the JECFA recommendation of the 40 milligrams per kilogram per day. But here in the U.S., the FDA set the ADI a bit higher at 50 milligrams per kilogram body weight per day. So FDA levels about 18 cans of soda per day? Definitely too much. Yes, (laughs) yes. And the FDA put out a statement this summer that it disagrees with IARC's conclusion. So we hope this episode has helped answer some of your questions about aspartame and cancer. The IARC provided a slight warning, but this doesn't mean do not consume. 
You know, we also want to point out that there are other concerns that have been identified regarding the use of aspartame. Things like changes to the gut microbiome, an increased desire for sugary foods, and glucose intolerance issues. Many people have reported negative side effects from consuming aspartame, everything from headaches to ADHD to more far-fetched claims of causing Alzheimer's disease or multiple sclerosis. And so research on aspartame is definitely ongoing, and we'll keep you posted as new discoveries are made and information becomes more available. And these concerns aren't just linked with aspartame, but it is the most widely used sweetener. I think... We'd like people to limit their consumption of all alternative sweeteners and choose unsweetened beverages instead. Right. So that about wraps up aspartame and cancer risk. So let's bottom line it. Okay, bottom line. Aspartame is an alternative sweetener that has been extensively studied for more than 50 years. It's approved for use by over 90 regulatory agencies, including the U.S. FDA and the European Food Safety Agency. The recent classification of aspartame by the IARC as possibly carcinogenic is based on limited evidence of cancer in humans or in animals, but the data is not strong enough for a definitive conclusion. So there are some studies that hint at a possible association, but no evidence to establish a cause and effect relationship. And the IARC classifies other common foods like processed meats and red meats as more likely to be cancer-causing than aspartame. So keep that in mind. Yeah, definitely. So just like many things in nutrition, moderation is key. For most people, an occasional diet soda is probably fine to drink. But if you consume several beverages or foods each day containing aspartame, we recommend that you probably cut back a little. Choose water or unsweet tea instead. The one group that should never consume aspartame are those with a rare genetic disorder, phenylketonuria, because their body cannot process the amino acid phenylalanine found in aspartame. So at this point, we cannot say definitively that aspartame causes cancer. All we can say is that it's possible that it might, but the evidence is far from conclusive. So if you really want to lower your risk of getting cancer, the American Cancer Society recommends that you stay away from tobacco, Achieve and maintain a healthy weight throughout life and be physically active. Adults should get 150 to 300 minutes of moderate intensity activity weekly and limit those sedentary behaviors like sitting or lying down. They also recommend that you follow a healthy eating pattern with a bunch of fruits and veggies and whole grains. Limit things like sugar and highly processed foods and refined grains. And as we mentioned earlier, limit foods like red and processed meats. And stay away from alcohol. But if you do decide to drink, no more than one drink per day for women or two drinks per day for men. And that's it for our discussion of aspartame and cancer risk. Thanks to our listener for the question, and thanks to you for joining us today on our 22nd 22. episode. That's crazy. And make sure to check out our website where we've got some bonus material that goes a bit deeper into some of our episode topics at yournutritionprofs.com. We're going to take a few weeks off to rest, re-energize, and to plan our next season, but we'll be back in two weeks to answer more interesting nutrition questions. Be sure to follow, like, and review us anywhere you get your podcast so that you won't miss an episode. And tell your friends and family about us too. See you soon. Class dismissed. We 
hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find the show notes and a list of sources on our website, yournutritionprofs.com. Your homework is to follow us at Your Nutrition Profs on Instagram and to listen to our next episode. You can listen on Amazon Prime, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found. We'd appreciate it if you'd like us, write a review, subscribe, and invite your family and friends to join us too. If you have a nutrition or health question you'd like answered, let us know. We may do a show about it. Send an email to yournutritionprofs at gmail.com or click on the Contact Us page on our website. Thanks to Brian Pittman for creating our artwork. You can find him on Instagram at brianpittman77. See you next time. time.